Our Old Covenant reading this evening comes from the prophet Nahum. Nahum chapter 3, as we continue to make our way through this book. Nahum chapter 3, we'll be reading verses 8 to 13. This is the word of God. Are you better than Thebes that sat by the Nile with water around her, her rampart a sea, and water her wall? Cush was her strength. Egypt too, and that without limit, put, and the Libyans were her helpers. Yet she became an exile. She went into captivity. Her infants were dashed in pieces at the head of every street. For her honored men, lots were cast. And all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunken. You will go into hiding. You will seek shelter from the enemy. All your fortresses are like fig trees with first ripe figs. If shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Behold, your troops are women in your midst. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has devoured your bars. Then our new covenant reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, on through verse 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The grass withers and the flowers of the field, they fade and they fall. But this, the word of our God from Nahum chapter 3 and Luke 12, it endures forever. Let's pray together. Our gracious Lord. We come that we would hear your word. Lord, that as you have revealed yourself, you would speak to us. Not in mere words, but Lord, in words that are accompanied with power. 
and that power being the power of Christ by your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that as we come to your word this evening, that you would be glorified and that you would be pleased to illumine our hearts, to understand and to know you. And Lord, to walk in your ways, even as you have called us to do in Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn back uh, to Nahum chapter 3. As we look at those uh, few verses this evening. The surety of Nineveh's downfall... We saw in the first seven verses of chapter 3. And as we saw that surety, it lied in the fact that Nineveh had sinned. And their sin sealed divine judgment. The fall that's sure to come is God's hand that will rest heavy upon them. Yet even with such atrocities, as has been described throughout the book of Nahum, and particularly in the verses that we saw last week, the fact remains, as Judah looks upon Nineveh at this moment in history, they still seem impenetrable. They still seem unstoppable. Their strength only seems to grow as their borders continue to increase, as they take captives. And it's all done seemingly effortlessly. Nineveh at this time has a lot going for it, and there seems to be no end to it. There seems to be no one on the horizon that could possibly ever overpower them. Now, such appearances taken at face value by Judah that Nineveh is at full strength may have made it hard to believe the Lord's words through Nahum. And isn't that so often the case for us? That when things are going well, God's promises seem to be easier to believe. But when adversity and hardship come, suddenly believing that God is good, suddenly believing that his promises are true, takes a whole lot more work as we wrestle with what we see versus what God has said. As we live by faith and not by sight. And maybe you found yourself in that place. In a particular hardship that you thought would never end, that seemed insurmountable. Or a season of heartache that you thought was inconsolable. Such was the position of Judah when Nahum came to them. Now the Psalms often give such expression to the anguish and hardship and oppression that God's people face. And one of the ways that the psalmists deal with that and help us and give us a pattern for how to deal with that, how to restore hope and assure God's people that God is indeed true and that he is good and that he is working his will is by recounting the history of God's wonderful works. And the destruction on the horizon for Nineveh, from the perspective of God's people, is going to be one of those wonderful works. You see, I've taken this judgment on Nineveh and turned it in a positive direction. 
Notice that. Because remember, again, the purpose of Nahum. What's, what's the purpose? It isn't a prophetic word intended to bring Nineveh to repentance, but to give assurance to Judah. It's good news for Judah that the Lord is still good and that he is working out their deliverance. And there's another assurance that Nahum puts into this prophecy by the Holy Spirit for the people of Judah. And that assurance comes as a lesson from history addressed to the people of Nineveh. Now you've no doubt heard the words of Winston Churchill from a speech in 1948 in which he was paraphrasing actually a Spanish philosopher when he said, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Here Nineveh is given a lesson from their own recent history. And it is a lesson that they are actually condemned to repeat. But not as the victors, but as the losers. You see, Nineveh has collectively forgotten the Lord's mercy that was shown to a previous generation of their people as preached by Jonah only a hundred years prior. They had failed to remember that Israel's God is the ruler and the judge of all the earth. And they had heaped sin upon sin and misery upon misery. And their time is up. Here in these verses before us this evening, the assurance of Nineveh's destruction comes from the recent destruction of another seemingly unassailable city. That serves an important lesson that in the economy of Almighty God, there are no exceptions. There are no exceptions to the strength and the power of the Lord who raises kingdoms and then who lays kingdoms low. I want to look at this passage this evening in three sections. First, a question of exceptions. Uh, Second, what became. And then finally, third, what will become. Verse 8. Verse 8 begins with Nahum asking a rhetorical question. Are you better than thieves? Now that question is not a question of moral superiority as if to ask whether Nineveh has a better ethical standard and has done more good that would requit them of God's judgment. We know historically and from the sins that were already outlined by Nahum in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 3 that morality is not Nineveh's strong suit to say the least. And so the question of better here is not better morally speaking. Instead, what Nahum intends by this question is to ask whether Nineveh is better than Thebes in terms of what befell that city. Is Nineveh able to stand while Thebes fell? Is Nineveh beyond experiencing the fate of Thebes? The expected answer is, of course, a resounding no. And so Nahum moves then to outline the advantages that the once great city of Thebes had in its favor, and yet it all came to an end. 
advantages which would have led people to think and led them to believe that they were unassailable, that they were, they were the exception of history, that their kingdom would endure forever. In many ways, the use of Thebes is a very relevant fact for Nineveh and Judah at this point. It was really only a decade or two prior to Nahum's prophecy, maybe even less, maybe only a couple years, maybe even the same year, that the city of Thebes was conquered and destroyed by the Assyrians. This is recent history that provides a lesson about exceptionalism regarding Assyria. That no matter what advantages you have, no, no matter where you're situated, no matter who your friends are, you are by no means unassailable. Because those are really the, the, the two lines of argument for one who thinks that he's the exception to the rule. Right? It comes down to who you are or who you know. That's where you're going to take an exception. Right? The advantages of who you are in terms of your wealth, or your talent, or your intelligence, or skill, experience, accomplishments. Or the advantage of who you know. Right? Who is it that could come to your aid when things fall apart? Whose name can you use to get to the front of the line? Right? Relatives, friends, colleagues. So Nahum asks, are you better than thieves? Let's look at the advantages of that city. If we think historically for a moment, Thebes was a vast, wealthy city in Upper Egypt, located about 300 miles south of the modern city of Cairo. It had an exceptionally long history dating back prior to 2000 BC, when its wealth and its glory began to emerge. Uh, for a long time throughout that history, it was the capital city of Egypt. It boasted a hundred gates, and in the ancient world, a city with a lot of gates is a wealthy city, and gates were often ornate. They had innumerable chariots. They had magnificent temples. They had palaces and tombs, which housed the greatest of Egypt's kings. There you'd find sphinxes, you'd find ornate shrines. Thebes is really an example of the ancient Egypt that captures our imaginations. The Egypt that we think of when we, when we watch movies. That's this city. Gold everywhere. Beauty all around. It was a beautiful city with a glory that was unique in the ancient world. But it was also a city with many protective advantages as well. And those are the ones that Nahum takes note of here in verse 1, or, or in verse 8. Thebes that sat by the Nile, with water around her, her rampart a sea, and water her wall. Nahum here is, is speaking about the advantages of where the city of Thebes was located. The city of Thebes course, was located right on the Nile River. And it was located in this place where the river divided into four channels, which essentially then formed a moat around the entire city. 
And there's some places where the, that moat uh, existed, which was as much as a half a mile wide. So all around this city is water. Which in a world prior to advanced naval operations made this city untouchable. How do you get to it? Let alone how do you attack it? With water around her, her rampart, the sea, water, her wall. And Thebes, of course, did have massive walls too. But, but the enemy could only get there by first dealing with the Nile. That's one of the reasons that Thebes stood for so long and was thought to be so safe and so secure. Her defenses seemed impenetrable. Contrast that to Nineveh, which changed hands a number of times throughout history. Although it was located on a river, it was located on the Tigris River, but that was no Nile with the protection that Thebes had. Now, along with those advantages in terms of location and geography and impressive architectural protections, Thebes also had many of something that Assyria had relatively few. Friends. Friends. Allies. Kings and nations willing to come to her aid should she be attacked. Now, most of Assyria's so-called friends, were not really friends. They were friends by oppression and would have been happy to see her demise. And once Nineveh actually does fall, if you look back up in verse 7, you'll see that we were told that once Nineveh falls, no one is going to miss her. Nobody will grieve the loss of that city. In contrast, if you look at verse 9, that, there we, we see a list of Thebes' many friends. Cush was her strength, Egypt too, and that without limit. Put and the Libyans were her helpers. The list of friends that shows that the one who would dare attack the city of Thebes was stirring up a hornet's nest. And it seems that the list is making the point that Thebes, which is well fortified from every single angle, also has friends to fight for her from every direction. Friends encompass Thebes. So much so that these allies are not seen as tentative, fair-weather friends, but their strength is bound up with her strength. So that Nahum could say here that Cush is said to be her strength. Egypt's aid is without limit. For hundreds of years, Thebes stood strong and powerful. It would have been unthinkable that the city with such wealth of fortification and, and friends would be able to succumb to any attacks of a foreign invader. It would have been unthinkable in the ancient world. After all, the water was her rampart. The water, her wall, Cush was her strength, and Egypt without limits. Her fortress and her protection, her strength and her helper was who she was and who she knew. And that is the great tragedy, not only of ancient history 
as kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but of every day life on this planet, where people put their trust in themselves and in those they know rather than in the Lord, finding safety in money and in jobs and in reputations, trusting people to have their backs. But here's the truth learned the hard way by thieves. The water and those friends can only give a semblance of protection so long as the Lord determines. And when the day of trouble comes, those impenetrable defenses can't stand. They fall before the Lord as he works his will. Look at what became of Thebes with all that she had going for her. Exceptional among the ancient cities. Maybe she's the city that'll never fall. Verse 10. Yet she became an exile. She went into captivity. Exiled from the land that had been hers for centuries upon centuries, almost 1,400 years, taken captive. Generations and generations and generations, and then it's over. Then much of her posterity was annihilated in a most horrific way. Look at verse 10. At the street corners of commerce and community at one point became outposts of murder and destruction. The sure way to subjugate a people and ensure no future uprising is to destroy their children. That's what every tyrant in every age does in some way or another. And we don't have to look back upon history very far to see that happening in every generation at the hand of every single tyrant. The children too young to be useful and who would be burdensome on the track back through the Assyrian Empire were simply discarded as worthless. What became of Thebes and her heritage? Verse 10 goes on. For her honored men, lots were cast, and all her great men were bound in chains. What was true of the seemingly exceptional and unassailable city became of her seemingly exceptional citizens, those who were distinguished, those who were well-educated, accomplished, were exiled in chains to cities determined not by their resumes, By chance, by the casting of lots, their distinction came to mean nothing in the hands of their captors. What became of Thebes? The unassailable city was assailed. Under one of the many churches in the city of Rome, there's a crypt. And this crypt is decorated with hundreds of human skulls and a vast array of bones with an accompanying plaque that reads this, What you are now, we once were. What we are now, you shall be. And 
Here, that's the message of Thebes to Nineveh. As Thebes once was, so you are. As she is now, so you shall be. Thebes' ruins are a prophecy of Nineveh's same fate. Nahum brings out this comparison by the emphatic use of the adverb also in these verses, or perhaps better translated as even, which in the Hebrew text begins verse 10 about Thebes, and then begins verse 11 and is repeated in the final clause of that same verse about Nineveh. Even she, that is, Thebes, fell. So even you, yes, even you, will fall as she fell. Now just think for a moment about how Assyria could have conquered that city. Think about her ramparts, think about the sea, think about her history. And just think that the military campaign to go get Thebes would have begun with a 1,300-mile trek to that city. It's not right down the street for the Assyrians. And when the Syrian army arrived, there is the city. The glorious city whose walls are water, whose ramparts are the sea. And no doubt they were impressed with its beauty, impressed with its fortification. Yet that didn't stop them. That didn't make them turn around and go home. They were determined to assail the unassailable, and so they did it. Now you may be thinking, how does the fall of Thebes, which was conquered by the Assyrians after all, prove that Assyria would likewise fall? It's in the very fact that they assailed the unassailable that they prove that they themselves are not unassailable. If the unassailable can be assailed, then we who think we're unassailable are going to be assailed. They're not the exception. They're not an exception because they themselves prove that even the mightiest come to an end. Verse 11. What will become? Even you will be drunken. You will go into hiding. You will seek refuge from the enemy. What's coming for Nineveh is that they will drink deeply of the wrath of God poured out on them. And when that comes, their greatest defenses are like a fig tree ready for harvest. Time's up. You're ready to be plucked out. The enemy knows exactly where to get his fill, and their greatest defense actually ends up being the place where the enemy comes in and gets what he wants, rather than keeping him away. What once gave them the feeling of safety and security as they looked up upon their walls, as they looked up upon their ramparts, as they looked up upon the towers of refuge that they had, They saw safety and security. But there'll be death traps. That's where they'll be held up, and that's where they'll be taken from. 
Behold, your troops are women in your midst. Now, this is not to denigrate women, but to say that generally women are weaker physically than men, and that men um, are the ones who are sent into battle. Yet the troops of Nineveh on Judgment Day will seem as women. They'll seem as though they are those people who are untrained and unskilled to go into battle. And they will be fighting with the fiercest enemy they could imagine. And soon, the once secure gates will be flung open and all the enemy will enter freely without restraint, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The Lord has condemned Nineveh to repeat the history of another seemingly exceptional city. And if Thebes, whose wickedness was ordinary wickedness, just ordinary wickedness, how much more sure for Nineveh, who excelled at wickedness, especially against the Lord's own people. And of course, that then is the point. There are no exceptions. Because the Lord is the one who yields the power. In his hand, the kingdoms of earth rise and fall. And what is true for kingdoms and for cities is also true of each and every individual. There are no exceptions before the Lord. Every person will stand before the judgment seat of Almighty God. And there will be no use claiming who they are or the people they know. For those things that once seemed so secure and those things that once seemed so safe will provide no shelter and no challenge for Almighty God. And that assurance... That even the mightiest of mankind are not an exception before the Lord's almighty justice and strength is an assurance that God's people need in every single age. That though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. And every stronghold of man Every accomplishment of mankind will be brought low. Every sin and every sinner will be laid waste. Every scheme of man and temptation of Satan will be brought to nothing. Every misery of this life will be gone forever. If you're here this evening and you find comfort in the Lord's judgment of sin and wickedness, It is not because of who you think you are. Or the many people that you know. But because of the one God and Savior who knows and loves you. The one to whom you have fled to find mercy. In whom you have found shelter and refuge. That is Christ, right? The truly only exception to the rule. There is none righteous, no, not one, except there is one. 
and his name is Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin. Who had no sin to be judged, yet who bore the wrath of God for all who trust in him by faith. Who being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And that comfort found in Christ is the only comfort that sinners could ever find. You see, if, if judgment befalls every nation and every tribe and every person without exception then without exception, there is salvation found in none other than Jesus. Is that not what we know from the Scriptures and what God has said so clearly? There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No exception. If the Lord is your strength and your fortress and your help, there's a history lesson for you too. Even as Christ was raised from the dead to everlasting glory, even you shall be raised with him. Even as you have already been made Resurrection in the inner man. You have been raised with Christ, who has been raised, and you will further be raised in glory on the day of God's choosing. And on that day, every enemy lie, every sin that trips us up, Every misery of this earthly life shall go the way of Thebes, shall go the way of Nineveh, shall go the way of the serpent who was crushed. Every cause for fear, every reason for your eyes to well up with tears, mourning, sadness, broken hearts, sickness, disease, and death will be destroyed even as Christ has triumphed over sin and Satan. Nineveh learned the hard way that they were not an exception. That is good comfort to us that Christ will triumph and we Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is eager and willing, ready and able to give to your people great assurance. You wrought wonderful works supremely in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you assure us by your word and by your spirit, week by week, day by day, moment by moment, that we are heirs of all the promises that you have, that we receive as a gift of your grace. 
We believe by faith. Oh Lord, would you give us greater assurance in the certainty that is ours based on the history that we have seen in Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen.